This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 80, with guest Tanya Bogomil. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Svorova, and welcome to the conversation. Today in the show, I speak to Tanya Bogumil, co-founder and chief executive officer of Lovely Day Foods. It's a biotech food company which is transforming how proteins are produced. Tanya has been an entrepreneur for 15 years and over these years have experienced the highest highs and lowest lows. She went through the entire life cycle of a company, from creating a market, scaling the business, to successfully exiting the company. And a few years ago, she made a commitment to utilize her entrepreneurial skills and experiences to change our food system by replacing animal-based products with plant-based or the next generation of alternative proteins. So let's deep dive into what the future of food looks like and how we can start living within the planetary resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate it on Spotify, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or simply share it with a friend. Tanya, welcome to the studio. Such a pleasure to have you here today and finally talk about food tech, future of food. And I think the last time we met and spoke, you just launched your startup, your baby. And now fast forward to today, it's a successfully growing business. So I'm all ears uh, to learn more. Daria, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And yes, the last two years, just like the blink of an eye. Was it two years? It was two years, yes. That's true, that's true. Well, we have a lot to catch up on it. So tell me about a little bit on your background, because parts of your family came from a farming background. What impact did that have on you? So parts of my family is coming indeed from animal farming. And the impact it had on me is that I did grow up with a lot of mindfulness and awareness with the food that we used to fuel our bodies is actually coming from. yeah. So back at home, I didn't know what convenience food is. And um, I was really used to always having super fresh food and always taking care of what I put into my body. But also that influenced you to become a vegetarian early on, or? It did. And this was actually my uncle who tried to convince me that I stopped eating this kid's uh, sausages because he wanted to show me what it is made of. I'm smiling, I'm laughing now, but honestly, this wasn't funny at all. I was a teenager and I went with him to the slaughterhouse and I couldn't fully process what exactly I was seeing there. Um, It was in the western part of Germany in Sauerland. But I just knew it's so fundamentally wrong and I stopped eating meat that day. So today I've been longer a vegetarian than I've been a non-veg. But it's so interesting that you didn't go into the food tech area from the start. It's later in your life that you started exploring the topic. How come your first initial interest was not anything in agriculture, food tech, future of consumption? So my journey has always been following a very intrinsic process, yeah? So I'm an entrepreneur since over 12 years. I love building things. I love this process of, you know, having an idea that's sticking and then starting to act on it and creating this room to bring people together so that good things can happen. But it was never dedicated to a specific area or industry. I got actually bitten by the startup bug by accident when I started my professional career 
in uh, business development at Mr. Specs. This was where I got so intrigued by the power of technology and how technology can help us fundamentally transform even particularly traditional industries that I stayed and I decided to just do my part to it. But this is also this one year of your life that you were employed, right, at Mr. Specs. This was the one and only year I've ever <laughs> been employed, exactly. So what was your start? So you were one year there. And how did you, you know, start learning and getting into that entrepreneurial journey? So while I was at Mr. Specs, uh, one of my projects in business development was building a hybrid collaboration program where we would bring the um, stationary world and the online world together in order to create a purely customer-centric platform and a purely customer-centric experience. And this really fascinated me, like how Mr. Specs is using technology to create access, to digitalize access to a medical product like prescription classes. And this made me think, how can we leverage technology to create value for customers? And this got me going then. Okay, and did that lead you to Kisura immediately or a bit uh, later on? So Kisura is, because it's, as we speak, still part of Kashtat uh, Department Store Group. Kisura is a personalized online shopping service where the traditional service that we know from fashion stores on the streets is brought to the digital space and where women get fashion boxes with a selection of outfits delivered to their homes. You mentioned that it helped, like this whole experience helped you to strengthen your resilience. Like how come, what were the moments where you felt that your resilience was challenged, but you became stronger and had, you know, you learned how to have more endurance? So the challenge with the business model was that it's incredibly capital intense. Yeah, so it's working with calculated returns. So the costs of goods are under enormous pressure. And then in the end, it's a mass game. Yeah, so we had to scale fast and growth always comes at a cost. We used to be fully dependent on external capital. And the moment one um, financing round burst, we had to completely shift paths had to file for preliminary insolvency and then structure the path forward that would maintain the business, maintain the workplaces and just pave the path forward. And in these times, these are times of incredible uncertainty because everything is on the line. And for me, resilience has become a muscle, you know, that I have been training now since these early days to just go up, get up, learn, move faster and just navigate through high times of uncertainty with a clear mind. Maybe you can explain a little bit. I was reading about this concept that we need to start living within our planetary resources and it's trying to understand, first of all, wait, we're not living within our planetary resources. And also, what does it mean? Maybe you can shine a light on that one. It's crazy, Daria. Like, there is this day called Earth Overshoot Day. And Earth Overshoot Day is the day when humanity's demand 
for food for supply exceeds the Earth's biocapacity. And this is on a global level, uh, August 2nd. This is on a country level for Germany already early March, no, May, uh, May 4th. And the truth is we need over 100% more protein in the next 25 years. And we are already hit our limits when it comes to planetary resources in terms of land, in terms of water use, in terms of GHG emissions. And change can actually start on our plate, yeah? Because to give you an example, like over one third of all man-made GHG emissions are coming from the food industry. This mm. is more than the global transportation industry, which is insane. And you mentioned the change. So what you're basically saying that at some point our comfort in terms of how we eat the food, how we consume our access to it, this is uh, diminished. And partially this is also the animal protein which we might not have access to as much as we want to because there will be not enough animal protein available. Yeah. And therefore, we need to change our behavior. I mean, not only for animal protein, but also for carbon footprint. It's not the most sustainable way. Absolutely. And here in, in food, it's a little bit like it used to be in other industries. I mean, the majority of industries used to rely on animals Yeah, until science, until technology kicked in to improve the processes. I mean, take the transportation industry where we have come like from horse via car to e-vehicle or take the communication system where we had pigeons doing the job in the very <laughs> early day and now we have our mobile phones yeah but yet when it comes to food we are still relying on animals and animals are per definition an incredibly inefficient production vector when we look at how they consume energy and how much energy they then produce in forms of proteins, fats, etc. Mm -hmm. So you spoke about change. So how can we foster change from if we talk about consumer like me to businesses? It all starts with bringing a bit more consciousness to um, what we consume, where it comes from. And we also need to create accessibility. And this is what we committed to was perfect because when I looked into the protein system, into the chicken egg system and realized how cruel and how wasteful this is, we just committed like we got to take chicken out of this equation. We have 12 billion chicken culled every single year. It's one of the biggest emission factors for GHG and the use of other resources. And unlike dairy or milk, where we have already a variety of choices, I mean, you can have a cappuccino with cow's milk or with plant milk, or you can have like a, a beef burger or a no beef burger. But for eggs, there just isn't anything suitable for the masses out there. And this is what we are changing with Perfect here. Okay, so Perfect is one of the examples. And maybe you can elaborate. So this is also, as I understand, this is part of the Lovely Day Foods so you plan to create more yeah. brands and products? Perfect is the egg without the hen. Um, it's a liquid whole egg replacer based on pea protein that just works like a whole egg. It gels, it foams, it can be used for cooking and for baking. And for us, Daria, plant-based has always been the logical step to start because plant-based technologies is available. It's also already known to the consumer. 
And it's also available at scale. So that means that we can create the volumes needed to bring it into various applications on the market. And yet plants do have one big shortcoming, and that is they do reach a limit when it comes to functionalities. For example? You will, a plant will always be a plant. So it'll always taste at least a little bit like a plant. If you take a pea protein or a bean protein, any kind of pulse, you will always have this very specific taste. A bit different taste. What was the feedback uh, so far with Perfect? So people like it. And this comes also down to my amazing colleagues. So the mastermind behind a Perfect on the development side is my co-founder Bernd. Bernd Becker, the former head of R&D of Rügenwalder Müller. He knows how to build category-defining portfolios and he also knows what it takes in order to enthuse mass markets and consumers. So, and the feedback was that it tastes really good, people like it, but still you can taste that this is not an egg from a chicken. So plants can uh, come as close as 50 to 60 percent. Because I never never tried a plant-based egg, so I'm quite excited. Let's go to sets or to (laughs) 25 Hours Hotel or to one other of our amazing partners in Mission that we have across Germany. So... When you look at it, you cannot tell the difference at all. When you taste it, like the texture is also really, really close. Like this is also one of our patented technologies here. And then yet in the end, it's still plants. And we did get a lot of requests from the industry that are looking at ways how they can fulfill their ESG goals by replacing animal-based ingredients in their formulations. And this brought us to uh, the point where we already now have to start thinking about the next generation of proteins. And for us, the next generation of proteins are real drop-in replacements that are just identical to the animal-based original, that are just identical in terms of structure, in terms of functionality, taste, etc. And the technology that we choose for that is called precision fermentation. It's a technology that is already used by human mankind for like hundreds, thousands of uh, years. It's the same way how wine is produced or how a good beer is produced. So we basically use microbes as tiny, very powerful protein factories. And they do produce now the real animal proteins, but without the animal. Mm-hmm. So we're, you're basically shifting from uh, plant-based more to biotech Exactly. And would you then replace your plant-based production or you want it to be as an addition to plant-based produce, but also have additionally biotech produced, uh, so alternative proteins as well introduced? Just like with software, where the next generation replaces the first generation, we do take a similar plug-and-play approach here with our proteins. So full replacement. Yes. That's a very bold move. I love it. But before we go more into that, I want to understand how do you currently find your customers? We did take a lot of time to build a powerful system that helps us create bigger impact faster. Because building this new category, defining the future of food, um, this is something we cannot do alone. So we have been taking from day one a food service first approach where we partner 
with our partners in Mission. Those are uh, local hero restaurants, those are hotels, restaurants, cafes, large-scale outlets, so-called QSR, quick service restaurant outlets, that were looking for ways to systematically veganize their menus. And we helped them doing that. We um, helped them to replace their chicken egg dishes with uh, chicken-free dishes, both on the savory and on the sweet side. So what are those places in Berlin that you can go and try? You mentioned a couple. So amongst our very first partners and also most loyal uh, partners in Mission is Beautiful Sets in Charlottenburg, um, like a place, entrepreneurial uh, run place that has always been at the forefront of food innovation. There's uh, Urchis in Berlin. There is the Intercontinental Hotel. There's the Maritime Hotel, just to name a few so we have since the start already been in over 150 points of consumption across Germany. And we're just getting started. And I'm very excited about that. This yeah. is a 150. Yeah. That's a big number. So I'm so happy to hear how it's picking up. And for you, when you were doing this kind of being at the forefront and representing business development side of the business, how did you find those partners? How did you create those relationships with those partners to win over 150 partners that work with your product? So partnerships is key in whatever we want to do, and particularly if we want to move faster here. We were very fortunate from the beginning to start already as a very strong team. So I didn't start the company by myself. I mentioned my co-founder, Bern, coming from the industry. I started the company with a year-long um, companion, Gary Lynn, Simon Fabig, both also very successful and very dedicated entrepreneurs. And since the early days, we have really systematically built that system that helped us making better decisions faster. And this also helped us getting our foot on the ground and we started our conversations with potential partners long before we had the actual product. So we took a really customer-centric approach to development and we integrated our partners into our system. And this then helped us really reducing the hurdle of going out and trying to sell something new. That's a very solid, I feel, serious team that you have in place that really thinks ahead. And when we talk about other products or other brands from Lovely Day Foods, is there anything else you're planning to introduce? So we are now really heads down all about gearing up our tiny protein factories. Uh, and this is also what excites me the most. So really seeing R&D team um, working with these new ingredients, developing new products, smelling, tasting all these new products and the cakes that they are preparing. So as of today, it's a bit too early to share anything around additional brands, but this is uh, definitely something that we are currently working on for us. Perfect as the egg without the hen is still the lighthouse brand that has where we have built like a strong consumer interface. We are running strictly B2B for the time being for the simple reason that this helps us creating more impact faster by also creating the visibility, you know, at the site of our gastronomy partners. 
But of course, this is only the beginning for us here. Mm -hmm. You mentioned with B2B, when do you think you would be ready to have the product more B2C facing? Because I can imagine as a consumer, I'm targeted with a lot of uh, plant-based alternative food in a very friendly advertisement and very easy to approach consume order. Ultimately, I'm a perfect consumer target. Why not yet? Why do you pause with this direct approach to consumer for now? Focus. And this is the honest and yet super difficult question for that. We are getting these requests from day one. And when we look at where the most eggs are being consumed, eggs are a staple food. It's a product of daily use, just like milk. Yeah. So eggs are everywhere in every kind of product. So that's why, of course, these end consumer applications are of incredible value. And yet we need to force ourselves to stay focused, to start with one direction first, get it right there, and then take it from there. What we learned on the market as well, Daria, is that this new category also needs time to being built up. It's not a product. This category of chicken-free eggs doesn't exist yet. And if we compare it with dairy or with meat, these protein verticals had decades to be developed. But we don't have this time anymore. Yeah, We need to start making change on our plates right away. So for us, our food service partners and our B2B partners are the best way to create bigger impact faster. And then in the next step, it'll be brought into the shelves of retail. The good thing is that retail is really hungry. They're super bullish on this uh, new product because they've seen how it can develop in meat, in dairy. And yet I'm personally convinced that everything happens at the right time and focus simply always wins. This is brilliant, Tanya. Thank you so much for explaining this. When you put it like on the shelf and organize it, and I totally see it, it absolutely makes sense with your approach. But aside from your company and aside from Perfect, I can imagine you're fully, you know, consumed by the topics of future food and regularly reading things. And I can see you have this passionate beating heart for this topic. What are the other favorite food tech initiatives that you are maybe not yourself planning to build, but you are admiring, you are applauding to? I mean, I'm curious. I'm all ears. So bottom line, Daria, is everything excites me that helps us decoupling our food from planetary resources. So we've talked about precision fermentation. This is the one thing that does excite me most, simply because we know that it is technically feasible. We know that it is also economically viable if certain characteristics are met. And we also know that it checks the box of desirability simply because these bioidentical proteins work as these drop-in solutions and end users or industrial users, they simply won't know the difference anymore. And for me, this is truly what embodies this future of food to just take out the animal as production vehicle. Besides that, I'm also very keen on getting closer to everything that's cultivated meat, cell-based meat, like in contrast to precision fermentation, where we take microbes as protein factories in 
cell-based or cultivated meat, we are growing real meat pieces. So the muscle pieces, the tissues, and all of this happening in a bioreactor. It still sounds a little bit like science fiction, like from a German consumer perspective. <laughs> and yet the truth is that as we speak, these products are already served in other countries. So Singapore and the US just passed the law to just allowed the commercialization of these products. So this future of food is already closer than we might think. And if you would give Tanya your personal forecast, when do we see those incredible food tech or different food products in the regular German supermarket? Is this, are we speaking two years, five years? I just, I wish I could really watch it clearly. I wish I could say this. What we see, and this is a very positive development, that certain European countries, not necessarily EU countries, but European countries are accelerating this. We have the UK, we have uh, Switzerland that received the first applications for this novel proteins. But these processes take time. And from a startup perspective, when we look at the opportunities for go-to-market, it can be quite frustrating sometimes just because we are looking at timelines of at least a year and a half to two years for the official admission. Mm -hmm. And are the regulations are strict in the EU? The regulations are strict when it comes to novel protein. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important to not make any kind of false compromise when it comes to the safety of food, when it comes to the quality of food and Thank God we have much stricter uh, regulations here in the EU than, uh, for example, in the US, where like it's quite easier to uh, get any type of food onto the market. I'm just talking about like chicken with uh, chlorophyll, etc. Right. Mm. But nevertheless, um, it's still a long way here for us in the EU. And from a startup perspective, this means that we just need to stick with it and continue pushing boundaries here. Any challenges that you can foresee? Honestly speaking, we are simply running out of time as an entire industry here. So for us, the big challenge is that we need to scale. We need to scale this category so much faster and we cannot do this alone. So we need more players to provide a choice to customers, to end consumers. We also need help from the government. Like this question of, What are we consuming and the future of food cannot be a matter of money, cannot be a matter of shopping budget. So we need to take out the VAT disadvantage for plant-based or animal-free products. I know that some initiatives are in the making here in Germany, but like with so many other things, like it just takes so much time, particularly from a startup perspective. And we also need simply bigger partners in mission here to create that kind of impact. So those bold companies that are putting their bets on these alternative proteins. When you mean those companies, are we speaking about bigger corporations? Yes. So you expect more voices from their side and bringing kind of their resource and stake into the conversation. Absolutely. It's interesting also approach because you want the this to grow and because you want this to uh, develop further, 
because you're passionate for the future of food, you see the impact it has directly on the society. You also, the way you speak, it also sounds like you would welcome competitors. You would love to see this being a competitive dynamic market. Oh, totally. Like, um, honestly speaking, like the best thing that can happen is is a space where there's many other players because this competition always helps a category. And if we look at the egg space alone, it's such a massive market. 1.3 trillion eggs are being consumed globally. It's a $270 billion industry. This is not a winner-takes-all market. So we need to bring continuous innovation to the market. We need to systematically lower the hurdle for both industrial customers but also end consumers to try these new products. We need to make sure that we deliver on our value proposition, that there is no point of disappointment created yeah, when trying such product for the first time. And this is why it's always the case, the more the merrier. And I'm personally also a believer in co-creation. I think best things, I know that best things can happen when we co-create, like going all in, all alone. Um, for me personally, this feels super outdated. So really embracing what's happening on the market is what I value the most in this space. Beautiful. I mean, yes to that, Tanya. And anyone listening to this and have any kind of like first spark on idea when it comes to food tech, I feel like the first thing you should talk to Tanya because she probably has like a whole list of ideas and be like, guys, just take over this, like take over, start building and, you know, and we talk later. So I love that way of collaboration and inviting people to start doing things. But that also brings me to a question. If someone wants to learn more about in Germany, in Berlin, wants to learn about future food or wants to learn about food tech, where can they start? Is there such a community that you can meet and greet and chat? So the beautiful thing about this emerging up and coming industry is that great dynamics and so many amazing individuals and everybody is just all in, wants to learn, wants to grow and wants to share. And this is also how I got into that space. Yeah, I started by simply reaching out to other founders. I started like no question was too dumb to be asked. Uh, I, I really embraced this learning opportunity here. I got super deep into various resources. Just to mention a few, there's the uh, Berlin Food Campus. Um, it's an institution that is currently being built here in Berlin that brings together the entire 360 degrees ecosystem of food, everything around planetary health. Um, they have built an amazing online community with a lot of resources. There is um, interesting newsletters. There is podcasts. Food Hack, for example, um, just to mention one, is a great entrepreneurial source um, that I can warmly recommend. And everybody should also feel free to reach out to me. And I'm happy to share more then. I see here Food Campus Berlin, so many, it's like there's a regular talks happening, plant-based talks, great speakers. Fascinating. I think that's a very proactive community. Um, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on this. And it brings me, Tanya, to the last question for today, something that's been very consistent on the show. 
And since you today represent a woman who is an author of her own achievements, and I think throughout your life, you proved it with your interesting endeavors, your successes, you know, how what you build things, how you continuously question the status quo. I'm always curious to know, so when I interview a woman, who does she consider as her role model as a woman author of achievement? It's Jamie Kern Lima. She is the founder of It Cosmetics. It Cosmetics is still today the largest beauty brands in the United States. She built the company out of her living room, sold it to L'Oreal after almost 10 years for $1.2 billion in cash. And the reason why she is one of my biggest role models is she shares her journey, how she learned to believe in herself. She shares how she went from Dennis Waitress to Billion Dollar Entrepreneur because she learned to believe she belongs in the room and to overcome self-doubt, overcome fear. And she really helped me to change my personal relationship with rejection. And this is an absolute game changer. Yeah, so never taking it personal and also shifting the view on rejection in terms of rejection is protection. And this has always helped me by then to look at things that happen in a different way. Because, I mean, rejection always sucks, right? It's I mean, always it's painful, difficult. Like it's always painful. But there's always these 2% truth in it. And this always helps me so much to then still learn and grow, you know, and to become better over time. And, yeah, never taking it personal is one of the biggest game changers. It's such a great learning because I think especially when you build and you're so active in the scene, you deal with a lot of people and dealing with people, like even if you're successful, people assume that, oh, you're getting only yeses. But it also means that there is a lot of no's, a lot of rejections, and it can be tough. But you have to learn, as you said, to filter it and see it differently. So thank you so much for sharing the name of Jamie Can Lima. I definitely, I think, seen her and I seen her stories. I didn't dive deep into her I see that she even wrote a book, uh, Believe It. <laughs> so something to read about. I'm, I'm very curious. Thank you for sharing. The book is amazing. It truly is. It's one of the best business books, I would say, paired with the classic one, Hard Thing About Hard Things. Love it. Tanya, thank you so much for being on the show today. So much learnings. Every time I'm fascinated how episode of a podcast can be like a chapter of a book. And right now you definitely opened this chapter into the whole future of food and food tech industry. Thank you for sharing your entrepreneurial journey into sharing how you find your passion and how you not only passively maybe observe the passion, but you decide to build things and build things with impact. Thank you for driving, making the world a better place. When we spoke about the world and how we have to preserve um, the world going forward. So I think there is definitely you know, the perspective here that I really appreciate hearing. It's not just for self-interest. It's not just for self-commitment. There's something more, a bigger a journey that is ahead. And yeah, I'm all ears about what's ahead. And I'm all ears about the uh, new products with next generation of alternative proteins that hopefully you can be sharing more about in the near future and how the company continues growing. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you so much for creating the space for that, Daria. It was a pleasure. 
Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon. 